Hey everybody, this is Jason from Get Tech Smart. I'm here with a good friend and colleague and freaking smartest freaking software programmer that you're gonna ever meet in your life, John O'Connor. Come on, John, tell us all hey, about yourself. Thanks, thanks, Jason. That was a really awesome introduction. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I am a uh, software engineer. I've been <clears throat> working in the field for uh, over 20 years now. Um, started at web development and then uh, progressed into aerospace and then dabbled into consulting. So been bounced around a lot of different industries, a lot of different fields inside of programming. Uh, and I'm currently at Georgia Tech uh, working on a master's degree in computer science, specifically in human computer, specifically in human computer interactions. So right. uh, I'm super excited to talk to you. You get to be on this, uh, this really neat show you got going. Yeah, it's awesome. So tell yeah. me more about your, uh, your experience with the, I guess you, you told me off the, before we started recording here that you're focused on AI right now and you're in your uh, learning. Uh, specifically, like I've been doing research into how humans interact with computers and AI thoughts, for example, are one of the ways that we're, it's a new paradigm that uh, people are using to interact with computers. Well, we interact with computers in a lot of different ways. So some of the things that I'm interested in are, for example, human drone interaction, uh, voice commanded drones or uh, AI bots that use AI to command a drone or to command other hardware uh, embedded AI that don't currently exist yet or that are just in their 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 infancy. Literally. So I've been studying the ways that people interact with computers and AI is one of those new modalities that people interact with computers. It's not going to go away, is it? But not hey. at all. I, I think it's just like a just like we interact with a keyboard and mouse now, how touch interaction became a big deal in the late, you know, 2000, 2010, roughly. Uh, it's just another way that people interact with computers. It allows us to interact in a more natural language way. So yeah, not going away anytime soon. One thing I noticed about it though, everybody, they, you know, and then, and it's a new thing apparently that you can actually get a job as an AI prompt engineer. Um, but right. I see it as more than just uh, prompt engineering that people need to know about. Yeah, I, I think prompt engineering is a fascinating topic because it maybe illustrates the fact that computer programmers really aren't going to go away. Uh, our, our roles are just going to shift, right? So one of the things I've told my students uh, at the college for a while is, you know, they've, they've asked me before, is my job getting away? Is this field worth getting into? And I've always said that even if programming doesn't look like it does today, even if it's not inputting instructions into a computer, there's always going to need to be somebody who understands the, the technology well enough to massage it into the computer in a way that gets good results. That's what programming is today. You're, you're putting in, you know, code, which is being translated into machine code in different ways. Uh, you're going to continue to do that. Prompt engineering is maybe what computer programming will look like in the future. Uh, That's what you, I think. Yeah. In fact, with AI, with, uh, you know, chat GPT or open AI's latest release that they allow, I'm sure you probably heard about it, that they allow uh, function calling through their right. AI now. So, but functions are just like, you're basically right. You know, it's sort of like, uh, akin to, a paragraph, a math paragraph, uh, problem, not really the numbers per se, but you got to write out, write out the whole different prompt or function. I want right. to do this. If somebody does this, then I want you to do it. 
This episode of Get TechSpire is sponsored by App and Web Everything you need from website design, app development, hosting, and more. You can call up this API at this URL or URI and do this and look up, you know, book it and yeah. whatever. Pretty amazing. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I think functions are an interesting application to this because it's essentially taking it's it's the core of this human computer interaction. Your interaction is with the AI. That's how you tell it what you want it to do. And then the AI is given this capability through functions, which is still a traditional programming technique, right? Uh, a function is just, it's a program that the AI can run. So you can even see in that how programming isn't going to go away. Uh, the AI part is really just one piece. And it's that beginning piece where the human tells the computer what they want it to do. Right. The computer still has to have the capability to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what... I think programming is going to look like in the future. Um, the the AI piece is really just a small chunk. Exactly. It's, I, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that you know, uh, it might be an issue where it might help programmers to learn. Well, maybe I don't know if learn new languages would be in the right term, but syntax but, won't be as much of an issue as what I see. Because the AI yeah. you care of the syntax, the difference between you know a Node.js program versus uh, Python or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pro- traditional programming languages, they use, uh, you know, they have a syntax and a grammar and they use very specific syntax and grammar. And I think as a programmer, AI might be able to help loosen the restrictions around that. Maybe you don't have to learn a, such a specific grammar to still achieve the same ends. And there are a lot of domain specific languages or DSLs that already kind of do that. Um, you can be a little more loose with the structure of your program and you can, you know, for example, chain functions together using uh, like flow based editors do this. And, you know, this isn't a plug for Propel, by the way, just the fact that it exists is a thing. Um, yeah, you can chain together plug it these... all you want, brother. It's yeah, an awesome I, I'm program. not. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not I'm not plugging it only because I'm not doing much with it yet, but I have plans for it in the future links but it's another example of how these systems go together how they're chained together um it just does it visually versus you know function calls yeah and ai is doing the same thing they're just sort of this input into that so these dsls like that system allows you to be very loose with where you put your grammar because all you need to know is here's a piece and here's how it connects and you don't really need to care that it's in this pixel region of the screen Yes. Right. So, yeah, the, you're seeing, you know, there are DSLs that already uh, are are forgiving of the programmer. And I think AI is going to make that even more prolific, more that, pronounced. I agree. But you're still going to have to, yes. you know, have the mind frame to be able to be a programmer, I believe. Certainly. Yeah, I think the, the problems don't go away, right? You're still, even if you could have a, a pro, a, an AI that can program itself, you're still gonna need a person to tell that AI what problems are important to solve, mm-hmm. right? And so, and know to correct the errors because AI doesn't always do great with correcting errors. Sometimes uh, it's somewhat okay, and then other times it's just like, well, it's full crapshoot. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's one of the big problems right now with AI is that our language models, right? The large language models like ChatGPT, they weren't designed to be informationally accurate. They were designed to deceive you into yeah. thinking that they are an actual person writing the document. And it doesn't, you know, 
they don't necessarily care that their output is accurate. Uh, they just care that you believe it. <laughs> and, you know, exactly. you, you, you believe that a person wrote it or that it looks believably human. Lovely. And that there's there are a lot of ethical issues with that. You know, we already see it happening with professors um, flunking their entire class because they put in a paper into oh, really? This happened, yeah. I, I'll have to look up the details, but there was a professor who flunked his entire class because he took every paper that they wrote and put it into ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT if they had if it had written that paper, and ChatGPT answered yes. And in in fact, they hadn't written the paper, but there was no there's no requirement here that the answers ChatGPT gives you are real and true. Right. They're not factual, right? Or they don't need to be. So you would, we, would have put it through a different. Uh... One of, different one of the programs, not necessarily the one that one that he thought of. Like they have a ton of them out there that are, you know, checking to see if it's written by AI these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even then, you know, how can we trust the results as people, right? You still sure. are going to need somebody uh, that you trust. And trust is going to become, I think, a massive thing in AI. It's already a massive thing in, you know, in, in like cryptography and crypto systems and cryptocurrency. Um, trust is the, the, is the backbone of those systems and i think what we're going to see in ai is a new form of trust needing to be developed one can we trust the results two can we trust that this was written by a person or not um you know we're going to have i think human validated or rather you know human signed uh, digital artwork where a person says you know i'm applying my digital signature to this and therefore you know it wasn't done by an ai it was done by me and by signing it i can prove later on that the AI bot used my artwork and trained on it, and therefore it's copyright infringement. You're going to see a lot of a lot of ethical issues like that coming up in the near future. I agree. Yeah, that's the big thing is the intellectual property rights of it is going to be huge because how can you tell that it stole my stuff here? And you know, because it takes pieces of you know data from everywhere, right? Is it all together? So if you take part of this music artist's words part of this music artist's words another one and you put it all together is it really infringing or is it a new work of art right right and that that that's a problem that's yeah that's a problem that's difficult to solve even without ai in the loop right you have instances of musicians going into court and playing their music for a judge to yeah. prove that their art is not similar to somebody else's art well, now you have, you know, an AI bot that that is directly training and copying pieces of artwork. How do we define the limits of what's intellectual property and exactly. you know, what's infringement, right? Well, it's going to be a, a problem for all the intellectual property lawyers. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, side note, if you're in the, in the computer industry and you're looking for a very, very lucrative career. Um, consider like intellectual property law because software is gray area all day long Both and are. you will never run out of work <laughs> not in the that's foreseeable true. future so yeah if you find yourself yeah sure. yep yeah if you find yourself inclined that way uh legal work in software is a good good field to be in so what do you think about this uh facebook voice box ai have you ever looked into that one yet no, I haven't. So maybe give me a quick. They say two seconds of a person's voice, any person's voice, and they can clone that whole person and then write a script off of it and wow. have that person 
famous person, non-famous person, doesn't matter. Say that whole script. And then obviously yeah. you, you pair that with other, uh, you know, visual AI uh, systems where they create the person's video. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the person's actually talking Morgan Freeman or whoever. Actually, yeah. Right there. It's wild, man. I mean, they, so it's, you know, July 18th, 2023 today. And what? right now there's a strike going on with the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, and they've been joined by some of the other unions, right? The actors, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, they're striking currently. And one of the core pieces of that strike, one of the reasons that they're striking has to do with uh, AI and with AI cloning, with um, writers having their input fed into an AI, having it trained on them and then writing scripts for them. Uh, It has to do with because it's like they basically get paid for one hour or two hours of work for them to clone their voice. And that's it. Yeah, that's they it. They send them home. Yep. And there are actors now. There's already, this is already happening where studios are paying actors. It's about 70 cents on the dollar per hour that they use. So an actor can go in, they can have their voice and their likeness cloned by their studio. And then the studio is paying them per hour of footage that they use. Uh, just as if they were, you know, acting on screen, but they're paying them 70%, uh, but they don't have to do anything. It's just their likenesses. Uh, and it's very, yeah, so very lucrative for like, you know, a famous actor, like an A-lister. They can go in and, you know, not have to do any actual physical work other than get cloned and they get paid. Uh, but for example, uh, an up-and-comer, right? Why would a studio use an up-and-comer when they can get an a-lister and you know exactly how are they going to get these performances out of these actors there's a whole bunch of different issues that are starting to come about they're going to be an issue there's going to be an issue where say this studio paid to have this actor cloned for this movie Mm -hmm. well this other studio wants to use it well there's going to be an issue with that because this studio has the rights to that clone Right, they're gonna have to pay that studio, or have to reclone that actor, which wouldn't be exact because it would then be an older clone, what have you. So things right. like that could happen. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's we're entering this very interesting era of this new technology, you know, and there are a lot of possibilities here. There are already actors that are that have agreed and licensed their the clone of their voice, the digital clone. And it's being used already today. Um, you saw this in uh, in um, Rogue One, right? So okay. Star Wars Rogue One had a likeness of Peter Cushing. Uh, that likeness, Peter Cushing has been dead a long time. But that likeness was a complete digital recreation of that actor and that actor's performance. Um, how do they compensate Cushing's estate for that performance? Well, right? That actor would have been paid in life. Now you have a whole different dimension of we're taking actors who have passed away and we're cloning them. What's the statute of limitations on that? Do we have an actor that's a hundred years, you know, like Charlie Chaplin, for example, do we still have to pay the Charlie Chaplin estate if we clone him and put him in a movie? Exactly. You know, there was a, another famous instance recently with the flash, the movie, the flash, which well, brought have in, you, have you seen any other Jones? Not yet, but I, I, I know they have like young Harrison whole, Ford in it. Whole first part of it. Yeah. All, AI generated or or what have you. Yeah. And I mean, we've had that since, you know, Benjamin Button came out, right? Benjamin Button was the first one to do that aging and de-aging technology. 
really well. Uh, and they did compensate Brad Pitt for his performance, but, you know, in Indiana Jones, let's say they no longer... Oops. Sorry. Earthquake. Uh, yeah, earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> in Indiana Jones, you know, they, they still have the actor around, uh, but if the performance is entirely AI-generated, do they have to pay them for that? Mm -hmm. exactly. Good question. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things to go on that one. I don't know. I'm not quite sure how that's going to end up. Yeah, that's, I think that's it's a whole, reason why my aunt got out of the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could like be. It's, I'm retiring. It's a little, yeah, we're we're sort of sitting on the precipice of a new era of performance art, um, well, and we'll have to see where that goes. You know, I just recently saw Avatar: Way of Water, and they use this motion capture technology, right? Uh, so they still use actors, they still use their performances, and so they still pay them for that. But well, I can see in the future taking those same performances, generating a 3D model out of it, and then no longer using exactly. the actor. That's yeah. entirely feasible. Isn't it amazing, though, the the you know era that we grew up in? Because you're just a little bit younger than I am. Mm -hmm. The fact that we grew up, you know, we saw the world before internet. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, capitalized on that issue. And now we're going into a whole different realm of AI. It's yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, we're still to this day feeling the we're still feeling the effects of the internet uh, becoming a thing now, right? We're still seeing industries being disrupted. When I started in my career, I worked in a newspaper, and we used to talk about all the time how the internet was probably going to make the newspapers go away, and tons of people from the you know the newspaper side of it saying, "No, it's not possible. People will always want something physical in their hand," uh, and it was less than five years. And the newspaper went under. Exactly. And it, it happened that fast. And I think AI is probably one of those disruptive technologies. I mean, look at, you know, the internet is one of the reasons that AI has advanced the way it has. Uh, mm -hmm. If we didn't have cloud computing, we wouldn't have these massive GPU running clusters. Exactly. All of the technology we use to build the internet, we're now using to run large scale distributed applications. and. Oh training an AI bot is that that's what you need is the large scale distributed okay. uh, system so uh, we're still feeling it every technology that's come about in the last 20 years has probably got something it owes to the internet yep I agree I think that you know as with like with my last uh, get tech smart uh, pod chat with my last get tech smart podcast uh, mm -hmm. I interviewed a gentleman that was uh, started up a comedy club and he was like, well, it hasn't really hit my field yet because, mm. you know, you have to, in comedy, you have to read the crowd. So until right. it becomes like actual robot sitting there right there next to you, reading the crowd, then of course, then it can actually, you know, do that kind of thing. And it might yeah. be over, but until then he's like, no, it hasn't really hit the comedy field. Well, and there are possibly some fields that it may not ever disrupt, you know, well, you anything that's live performance anything that requires human intuition um you know and a exactly. large language model bot does seem like it does very human-like writing you know uh -huh. uh, it can feel very realistic but it's not a human writing it and at some oh, level people have been divorcing divorcing their wives over right right uh, you know yeah and i mean it, it's <laughs> 
it's interesting you know like i wonder if that's just a oh well i need to have a reason but yeah i i I think it would be (laughs) like they already that that must have already been on the docket anyway right just like you know it's an ai bot's fault now yeah exactly yeah (laughs) no i you know what i find funny is look at um here here's how i kind of think about it if you look at cgi in the early 2000s right when you look at cgi today Back in 2000, if we saw a movie with really great CGI, it would feel to us like it was very realistic. Uh-huh. I remember this in video games. I couldn't believe the realistic graphics oh, yeah. on the PlayStation, <laughs> right? So realistic. Uh, and now looking back at it, it's almost comical how unrealistic it was and how you know rudimentary it was. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if right now, because it's all new to us, we're seeing the, the output of these large language model prompts and we're saying, oh my God, this looks so realistic. And, you know, in 10 years, we might look back and go, wow, it's so obviously an AI bot, right? Maybe our, in, so. our, our intuition will change over time as we get comfortable with the technology. I think that's a possibility, too. I, I can see it. When I read stuff, I'm like, oh, that was written by AI. Yeah. I yeah. can 100%, 100% tell, oh, okay, maybe, maybe 5% time they can't. But yeah, time, I can easily see it. A lot of times you can. Yeah, I had a, um, in the course that I'm in right now, we write a lot of papers and of course, we're told, you know, don't don't uh, use ChatGPT for your <laughs> papers. We will check it and you will get, you know, failed for it. Exactly. Uh, but we also, as part of that, have peer reviews where we review other people's work. And I just received a peer review that I can tell was written with ChatGPT. Um, the student definitely put it in an AI bot because uh, it missed, you know, it got elements of my paper, but it also got some of them wrong. And the uh-huh. misinterpretation was very clearly one that wasn't a human misinterpretation. Exactly. And I thought, you know, that's interesting that it just happened to me this morning. Actually, I was just reading that review and thinking, <laughs> oh, this guy wrote it with ChatGPT. How do I know that he did that? Um, I think maybe in a few years time, we're going to we're going to have an intuition for it and then it'll be really obvious. Uh-huh. So perhaps uh-huh. same with AI, you know, generated performances. I agree. I don't think that it's going to have the right textures. And and besides, yeah. it's almost too perfect in a way where it yeah. messes up. And and super wordy. Yeah. I'm talking I mean, for, for now. really wordy. Yeah. I go, okay. Yeah. And you it is for now. Order. Yeah. It, and it may get better. It will get better, right? It will adapt and evolve. The, most of the paper, like the large language models, were built on this one, essentially one seminal technical paper you can read called attention is all you need that was written by a bunch of research like eight researchers at google who are the top researchers in the field and they were the inventors of transformers which is how all of your modern ai um generators work right? oh wow they all use transformers if you get a hugging face.co which is the sort of it's sort of like the the implementation side of ai and bots and stuff if you're not bots but uh you know generators uh, huggingface.co that's the one that everybody is using to build out their transformer systems and to create new ai and to share it it's kind of like the github of ai oh really and yeah it, it's phenomenal and 100 percent of it is built on transformers transformers are how we have these large language models today yeah. and you know all based on that one paper attention is all you need so if you're looking for an academic background to it that's how they work Right. They all work that way. And, uh, yeah, kind of awesome. neat. Yeah. Very cool. Just threw that out there. Nice little tidbit. Little yeah. for everybody. 
Yep. If people are looking, yeah, people are looking for like, you know, the, the sort of academic foundation of AI today, and it'll give you a chance to kind of figure out or feel out what it's capable of. What, what, if you understand the technology a little bit. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to, uh, mention to everybody? Oh, um, let me think. Oh, we kind of, I felt like that was a pretty solid, you know, back and forth. We covered a few different topics. Um, yeah, nothing offhand. I think the HCI angle was what I was really kind of hoping to get to. And yeah, I think, I think I'm so, good for now. Where do you see yourself in the next five years in software wise, software programming? Oh yeah. Good question. I think, you know, I've. Part of the reason I went back to this master's degree program after being in this field for so long, you know, you can see the gray here now, <laughs> um, you know, I, I shaved mine off this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've got a little, you know, a little patch here and there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Part of the reason I went back into this program is I realized, you know, I've always been fascinated by human computer interactions. Like that's what? the, that was the sort of common thread of all of my interests in computing was how do people interact with computers that specific part of it yeah. and i finally figured out for me like that's the piece that i should be in that's the piece i like to be in um and it's sort of an intersection of like in business as well because human computer interaction is all about figuring out how computers can work better with people how people can work better with computers it's about need finding it's about you know uh yeah, a lot of things you do in business, you know, where's the pain? Like, How do we fix the pain? That's business too. Of course. And yeah, what I what I realized was that that was the thing I was interested in. And I'd love to spend a lot more time really exploring how people interact with computers and maybe changing that a bit, you know, mm -hmm. creating new programming models. I, I'm very interested in float-based programming. I think it's one of the ways that we can more rapidly prototype uh, systems and even live prototype it where you no longer need a prototype you just build the system it's just as fast well, um i think that's something i'm very fascinated with and the idea of maybe taking software and iterating on it so quickly that you can build systems i mean fast right like within days instead of months or years exactly um that's yeah, that's the sort of stuff I'm interested in, and I'm I'm hoping that my research interests can kind of nudge me that direction, and ideally even turn that into a business where I uh, I can help other people build their software quickly and solve their problems quickly. So we'll see. Yeah, hopefully, I don't know what exactly it looks like in five years because I'm a little bit ADD, so I could change tomorrow. But for now, that's what I'm that's interested in. The way with all software programmers i think if you're a good software programmer you got to have 80, 80. yeah yeah i mean it, it it changes too fast for you not to right seriously like you're you're you have to be in order to be on top of it you have to be interested in a lot of diverse subjects and you have to be willing to put in work to learn it and to understand oh. it right and that requires you know firing on a couple of cylinders at the same time and maybe also forgetting a lot of calendar dates <laughs> <laughs> so well, I appreciate that you didn't forget this one. Even though I didn't just back from your trip and everything. It was awesome. Yeah, I know. Tired I, and probably, was, you know, worn out yeah. from it. But yeah, I was excited for this. This has been uh, something I've wanted to do for a little while with you. 